You are now listening to Bookish. The canon continues. The podcast that's dismantling the sacred secular divide with your host, Michelle Collins. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Bookish. The canon continues. I'm, of course, your host, Michelle Collins. I know you're used to me. I know you're used to hearing me say my name. I still have to do it. It's it's an important thing. Um, But, of course, we are here to bridge the sacred and secular divide book by book. And as you remember, a few weeks ago, I opened the conversation with regard to uh, policing and defunding the police. And of course, that's a very controversial topic. It's uh, one that's often misunderstood, and we'll get into that a little bit more as we go through the discussion. But joining me on the microphone today is none other than Dallas Verity. Hi, Dallas. Hey, Michelle. How are you? I'm I'm doing okay. It's it's cold here in Canada right now, but uh, yeah, but good a good furnace, so we're good. Awesome. Well, as we were talking about, I'm freezing too, so we're we're on the same page. So, <laughs> um, well, what I like to have everybody do that joins me on the microphone is just give me like a little bit of the back of the book bio about yourself, uh, what people need to know about you, uh, the different things you're involved in, anything you want to share. Sounds good. Uh, I guess there's not a whole lot of um, things that are really exciting necessarily about me. I'm, <laughs> I live in, in Canada. I'm married and have two young, young kids. Um, I, I guess one of the biggest things, um, currently, like I, I run a podcast with my, my, one of my best friends, Blair, and it's called Shipwreck Over Safety. We just kind mm-hmm. of try to have conversations about faith, doubt, uh, justice, and, yeah, and a lot of it kind of spurred, um, or spurred on by both of our kind of journeys through evangelical Christianity upbringing, mm. and then eventually both of us worked um, jobs as pastors and you oh, know, went to Bible I didn't college. Know that. And, yeah, and then eventually kind of left that, and as you know, questions kept coming up, and right, seeing kind of some of the injustices and struggles in the church. Um, yeah. Um, then we just decided we're going to start talking about it publicly and try and get other people to join in the conversation. And as you'd expect, uh, you know, the, sometimes this shit hits the fan and sometimes, yes. you know, <laughs> buttons get pushed, but it's been like, honestly, we've, like, I've learned so much through the process. Uh, I've met incredible people like, like yourself, um, oh, thank you. Michelle and, and just, yeah, it's been, it's been fun and I've been able to like really expand um, how I learn. I mean, even just the, the book that, you know, we were going to talk about today, mm-hmm. that's stuff that I never, so I'm, you know, grew up in the middle of Canada. Uh, I'm peak privilege. I'm a straight white <laughs> male, um, middle to upper class. I, you know, own vehicles. So I'm super, you know, well off compared to the majority of the world. So right. in that, I was sheltered a lot growing up from seeing different experiences, including not trying to steal your, your hit or anything, but like in, nope. including how I relate to the police, like looking back and mm. thinking, how does this work? Um, yeah. And where do I need to reconsider um, my perception on this? So, well, yeah, it's diff- it, is, it is a difficult subject, especially if it's not one that you've ever had to worry about, you know, your relationship with regard to the police. Right. Um, I of course have not either. I've never had to worry about it. As a matter of fact, I've been known to get quite sassy with police officers and <laughs> I've never had a problem. Um, so that's definitely some privilege. Right. Um, so I think 
and I think that's one of the things and I'm sure we'll get into this when we introduce the book, but the idea that it's easy to have an opinion on this subject if we've never lived that experience. And, and that is an unfortunate reality. Um, and I think that's why it's so important to discuss it and, and to, to bring, and to bring up these issues Uh, and, and in all honesty, talk about some of the definitions of what is being discussed, because I think it's very misunderstood. Um, as far as talking about defunding the police or, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric out there with regard to that. That's not necessarily factual. Right. And so that it became something I became interested in just simply because it sounded too fantastical to me mm-hmm. to say, Oh, they're going to get rid of police. I thought, well, that's, that doesn't make sense to me. And I know there are some people that do advocate that, right. um, but the majority of the people that is not what they're talking about. Yeah. And so I think that, opening up these discussions is, is beneficial to ourselves, but to people that are listening so that they have a better understanding as well. Definitely. Um, uh, do you follow the Enneagram at all by chance? What's that? You, do you follow the Enneagram by at all by chance? You know, I, I've obviously heard of it, um, but I've always been a Myers-Briggs person. Fair <laughs> so enough. I have no idea what my anagram is. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. I, for, for myself, and this is just explains why I had to like read this book and other mm-hmm. books on policing because like I would be considered a six with a five wing. So the five, this, the six is the loyalist, the five is the investigator. Mm-hmm. So oh, okay. I keep seeing all these discussions on Facebook and Twitter about defunding the police or, mm-hmm. you know, all these different terms and, and ideas. And I can't, I can't relate to any of it. So I was like, I need to, I don't, right. I don't understand. I need to know more. So then the five, the five wing in my brain or whatever of who I am (laughs) makes me have to go seek that out and try and find, not to find all the answers, but to at least have some context and a little more education. Right. So yeah. Anyway, so I was just curious if you. And I think that's really really valuable. Yeah. And that's very valuable. I think too often we already have an idea of what we think we believe and we never investigate. I mean, that comes back to the whole subject of deconstruction. I mean, I was just sharing with somebody today, um, I fortuitous conversation today with somebody on another subject and it just roamed right into that area. Mm. And I found out that they had gone through this process, but they had no idea what to call it. Mm. And so we got to share, got to share a little bit of time discussing, you know, a phenomenon that they were not aware that anybody else was going through. Wow. Um, and I said, well, but that's the point is we don't often educate ourselves. We just take what has been handed down to us, you know, historically or familiar from, from a familial standpoint. Mm -hmm. And we just accept it as truth. We never investigate it and decide for ourselves. Um, and how important that is in the education process, uh, to, to spend some time. Uh, and I think in all honesty, this is just my opinion, but most people do not want to spend that time. There's a sense of almost laziness um, with regard to doing any kind of investigation into a subject matter, even if you feel strongly about it. Uh, or at least that's yeah, what I've come across. Right. No, I think there's definitely like the group where there's laziness. And I think for some, and sometimes it's it's me as well, is like, sometimes when I approach certain subjects, it's like, I, I believe I'm responsible for what I know. So if I look too much into it, then I'm going to have to make some, you know, I'm going to have to change some way of life. I'm going to have to make some decisions that are going to be uncomfortable. Um, So I think there's like a mix of both of that, those things. There's times where I just also am like, 
that mm-hmm. I can, I'm like, I don't want to put in the work right now. Right. So yeah, <laughs> I think it can definitely well, I mean, be both of those things, but sure. I mean, we're all that way sometimes and it depends on the subject matter too, of course. Um, anything that of course we're triggered by easily, or we may not want to do that investigation. It may just be a little too much emotionally. Right. Uh, but I do think that in time, if we're capable of doing that, it is still beneficial to us. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious about something cause you are in Canada and of course, much of the rhetoric surval- uh, surrounding ah. the police and defunding them is of course here in the United States. Um, so what is your experience with it there where you live? Is, is there st- some of the same issues or is this just a, an observational thing? So there's, <laughs> I mean, some of this stuff is definitely things I'm obviously still learning and processing, even as like I went through this book, another, I would give it a quick flip through again today, just like looking through mm-hmm. things and, and processing. And so I guess for personal context, I've, I, cause I was trying to think, how, how when have I ever had to deal with the police person right. so I remember once as a kid in my well-off like I was li- grew up in like a really nice area of the city one of the, definitely more, one of the more upper class areas and I remember right. bike riding in the neighborhood and my friends or with my friends and a police car pulled up and was like did you see a, something about like did you see this guy and we're like well, what did he look like and they're like obviously he's an Indian and then we're like mm. whoa and this is like I remember I don't remember how old I would have been. But that was like the first incident with the police that I thought of. And I never, mm-hmm. I don't remember it being disgusted by it. Just like, oh, okay. Um, although now just like processing it. Right. And then, and then this is something I don't share all that often, but I, um, years ago, I, I got pulled over um, driving under the influence and mm-hmm. um I'd never been been in trouble like that before. And I honestly, and I like, I cried and the, and the police, the police let me go with a warning. Like obviously wow. I lost my car for the day, but like those are things. And I was just like, Oh, I'm, I got lucky. And I was like, right. Oh no, maybe, maybe it's different. Maybe it's cause I was dressed nice. And maybe it's cause I'm white and maybe it's because I was driving a decent car. You know, like I, yeah, it could be any number of them. Right. But those are things I never questioned until I started right. listening to other people share their stories. Um, including, I guess back to your question there with um so in Saskatchewan in particular where where I live, there's uh the biggest issue would be or the biggest like how how do I word this? Um the biggest demographic that is harmed by the police in, in my community is indigenous people. Okay. Um so it, it would be and the book even talks about this a little bit, um, where talks about how the police were originally started so in in, right. in america it was like a lot of it was around slave catching and, and in canada a lot of it was the rcmp yes. um trying to clear the indian from the plains um to remove mm. them um out of lands that they wanted and um and then still to this day when i'm not trying to compare it to the states because again it's, it's it's a different country in different context <laughs> but like we're I think we're just more sneaky and polite about how we do something. <laughs> we, you know, like we, the, the incarceration rate of indigenous people in my province and um, recidivism rates is like astounding. And yeah. um, I think it was about a decade ago, but there's stories of our provincial, our police within our province um, doing what's called starlight tours. So they would take drunk indigenous people out of the city in the winter drop them off without their shoes miles out of oh town. Some of them 
you know, some of them would freeze and die. And, and, um, I don't know if it was a, I don't remember how long ago. So I, I, I but anyways, like this stuff has happened very much wow. here too. And it's more targeted towards indigenous people, but, um, not long ago, like within the last year, there's been numerous, um, black folks who've been, have been murdered at the hands of the police too. So, um, there's, yeah, it's not as media, um, it's not as covered right. as much by media and the focus isn't here as well as much, but there's definitely the same, I think, structural issues. I know that the way that the police operate is very different in the two countries. Mm-hmm. Some of the training is different, different requirements and whatnot, but I think it's the same. For the longest time, I, I tried to ignore it and be like, no, no, they're not like America. Like American <laughs> cops are the bad ones. And, you know, these ones are because I know, I know a couple, right? But right. Um, I really well, I'll have be to- honest with you. I mean, I assume it's only a, an American problem. And again, that's because this is where I live. Right. But to your point about, you know, how they're trained differently in different places. I mean, we've got 50 different states here that are operating independently, so to speak. Right. You know, and so they have different training, different requirements, different budgets, a lot of different things. So I don't know that it's everywhere. I just think that recognizing that it could be anywhere is necessary. Mm. Yeah. Because we're not really- we're not talking about structural as much as we are talking about human nature. Mm. And anybody in a position of authority or power, there's the propensity for abuse of that power. Right. And so we have to be careful. Ironically, I have a friend here, uh, he's a pretty good friend, who is a police officer. Um, and he, of course, he, you know, we talk here and there, and, and he shared with me not too long ago that, uh, you know, it's a very stressful job, which I do understand. It is yeah. a very stressful job. At any given moment, they leave and they go to work knowing they could die that day. Yeah. Um, so that that's, that is difficult. But he was saying, he said, I don't think people realize how much power we actually have. Mm-hmm. He said, I literally have the ability to take away somebody's fourth amendment rights. And I thought about him saying that. And I thought, my God, that is wrong. Yeah. You know, that, that is too much power for an individual to have because it does lead to situations in which there is abuse, yeah. even from somebody that normally would not do that in given the right set of circumstances, Yeah. you know, so it's it's very interesting the perspective or the perception of it from country to country, and I think that's really important to to underline. Is you know, I, especially like if we talk about England, of course they don't carry weapon, you know guns in England, um, so they have, I, I would think less police brutality, but maybe I'm wrong because maybe it's more of a physical force than what we have here. Right. Um, but I, I guess. Like you said, I, it happens there, but we don't hear about it. I can't ever remember hearing of police in Canada being abusive. <laughs> right. Yeah. And maybe it's just drowned out by the number of occurrences we have here. I don't yeah, know. it's very, very possible. Yeah. Well, <laughs> again, there's just like there's so many. Yeah, I think a lot of media will focus most of the time. Even Canadian media will focus on. Yeah. You know those. You know 
the big cases in the states of police brutality. <laughs> they'll, they'll focus there every time over over a local incident, right? So, well, I mean, let's be honest. The media is all about ratings, and we're a shit show here in the United States. <laughs> yeah, I, I everybody wish I could stops argue to watch an accident. <laughs> wish I could argue with you on that one, but <laughs> no, I know what we are. It's all right. <laughs> I mean, even today, I, I I have never had so much anxiety in my life as I have in the last month okay. um, over all the election stuff. And then, of course, they certified the Electoral College today. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, okay, I can take a breath. And now I'm hearing I still can't take a breath. So yeah. well, <laughs> I'm like, oh, my goodness, I just need to I, I need everybody to just do what they're supposed to do and, and stop being crazy yeah. <laughs> for the moment. And hey, we've but, got we've got the crazy here too, so it's. Uh, I know you do. I know you do. But uh, like I said, we're the absolute loudest yeah. shit show in the world. So. True. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, it's us yelling it from the top of the you know the top of the roof that makes it the loudest shit show. But anyway. Yeah. Dope. <laughs> um, but why don't you go ahead and introduce the book, um, and tell us what about it has been inspirational to you or has inspired you in some fashion. All right. So the book, who do you serve? Who do you protect? Um, a truth out collection. So it's like a, a mix of authors or how do you, a collection of authors, I guess, uh, police right. violence and resistance in the United yeah. States. Um, yeah, honestly. So I read, I, my plan is to read this one and then the other one, the end of policing. And I read this one first right. and then, came back and read it later and I found this like was really helpful in me understanding because I'm hearing stories from people who are like right with experience and walk these or like have like actual like, cases of of where right or the system have failed um especially yes. marginalized communities and like there's certain parts where I'd read it and I'd be so like angry um, mm -hmm. or sad or sick, like a, a pit in my stomach, just being like, Oh my goodness. Um, right. Like uh, even like the section about being a parent, like being oh what is it to be a, a black parent. Like I'm like, I'm a, yes. I'm a white, I'm a white parent with like white, blue eyed, blonde hair kids. Mm -hmm. Like I will never fear right. my kids. I, and, and I never have been, never will be afraid of my kids getting killed by the police. Right. And, and this is going to sound bad, but I honestly, like, one, my biggest fear with them is that they'll end up being a police officer. Oh. And that, and, no, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's an unfounded fear. I mean. I, I know it sounds bad, but I, uh, um, Well, yeah, because I can remember when I was a kid. I, yeah. I, I mean, when I was a kid, and of course I'm in my 50s, so that's been quite a while ago. Um, but the idea of being a police officer was something you looked up to. Yeah. You know, it was, you, you were there to help, you were, you were not afraid of them. And of course, again, I was brought up as a white child. I, I had no idea that maybe black children were, were treated differently yeah. or had a different idea of the police. I just assumed everybody liked the police because we were told that we were supposed to. Right. So yeah. it, well, yeah, like, I, I'm with you on the experience of thinking about parents dealing with this. Cause that's just torturous. Yeah. They, I found the book, the book just did such an excellent job of like bringing to like, almost like, not the same as written to me, but like mm -hmm. the amount of things that I was able to think about um, topics that were brought up that I could think about from my context and how, that's what, I mean, that's how we, most of us, I assume read books and right. take in is that how does it relate to us? Like, sure. And 
you know, like I was like, I don't know what it's like to be a parent to who like right. be afraid of those things. Or, I mean, the, the there's a piece on you know, cannabis and the police, and mm-hmm. like I, it's it's fully legal here now in in right. Canada, but like I think of so and like and I have a, a green card and like I can get like a decent amount shipped to my door. Within hmm. two days, vacuum sealed, no, like no consequences, nor I mean, right. it's legal. But then I think that there's like people who, you know, there's like, especially like black men in jail serving right. life sentences for like a portion of what I can get to my door. Yeah. Right. And it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. And I'm just like, so here's another thing where, you know, and how does this, so I can't understand that perception, like what right. that's like, or being racially profiled. I don't. Right. know what that's like or yeah it just there's the book was just yeah really brought a lot of things to to front and I'm like so I texted you the other day and just said you know like it's really got me thinking because even the one yeah sorry if I'm totally <laughs> taking this all over the place but that's okay the, the one part of the book when they talked about that that program cahoots in yes Eugene Oregon Oregon I was just like my mind was blown and I'm like, okay, how do I do that here? How do I, like, how do we do something like that here? Because I know that there's, um, or in other places, how do, how does, how do we get programs like that running where there's, where the Oakland power projects, which run completely separate from, from police, but like they showed that these programs work right. in certain communities. Well, go ahead and explain that. Go ahead and explain the cahoots thing so that um, we have some, some, uh, right. So the Some cahoots found of knowledge here, so we know what, what what you're referencing. So, so cahoots. Um, I'm just gonna load it up in the book here, real quick, too. Where was See that at? I want to turn to it too. I don't remember. Uh, one, one but one fifty eight starts a little earlier than one fifty six. Um. Oh yeah, here it is. So essentially, it's like they would be dispatched from central dispatch. It's a mobile crisis intervention, and like we have something small like that here like mm-hmm. where you can call a 24-hour like mental health hotline and they can you know if someone's in desperate need of help they'll send a, a van out to help but like this seems like they're taking right. thousands of calls a year and yeah. actually reducing yeah like reducing the need for police which actually when you're talking about you know like even your friend saying the stress of yeah being a police officer like that's that's part of the issue with policing and right. why they're wanting police reform or defunding is because there needs to be like the the amount of calls and the wide variety they're not trained to do so like i'm i'm not a trained social worker but i work um as a youth care worker with um primarily adults with um that are on the autism spectrum and then usually have a wide variety of other trauma and and different diagnosis in their background and I like when I think of when every time I see a video where you know police officers using violence or mm-hmm. even to restrain somebody improperly, it drives me nuts because we have to yeah. recertify because we're trained to like physically intervene in a way that will not risk like putting the neck right. on the back of the right or the knee on the back of the head or like laying on someone's back or all these like those those like things and I'm just like. W- these police aren't trained to do it. Like right. I think half the time it's not a, 
I'm not saying there's never malicious intent, but there's well, no, of course not. But like, it's a lot of it's like, how do you train them, or how do you prepare them to do answer mental health calls, um, to walk into you know suicides, to walk into domestic violence, to car accidents, like all those things. So like, what if there's part of the system like cahoots or the Oakland Power Projects where like you can call nine one one and dispatch can make a decision and sometimes you can send the police too but also you're sending like a social worker or a mental health counselor or like someone who can because i I also like i also have mental health struggles where you know it goes personal as well Mm -hmm. there's like i and i and i work with folks who have that and we've had to call the police to help in situations that that have gotten out of our control so right but like it's you're always running a risk. So why wouldn't they yeah. dispatch the proper proper people? But well, because the proper people aren't hired to do that right now. So Right. Um, well I love I love how they point out with that specific program that oftentimes the the people in the community when they arrive and even if the police are there, the people in the community would actually rather the police not be there often. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's a de escalated environment if the police are not there. And with all due respect to police officers and the stress of their job, the reality is because of that stress, their anxiety level, of course, is heightened, I would imagine, for the majority of the time that they're working. So it's not difficult to see how that could escalate very quickly into a bad situation um, with just the smallest of reasons. So if, if... for as this program shows, if you were to have somebody who does social work or an EMT or you know something along those lines that is able to step into the situation instead, automatically everybody's ramped down because there is no police officer in a position of authority that you know is trying to exert that authority, which then de-escalates the people that are being responded to. So that they're not, so, you know, what I mean is they're not actually responding badly because they're anxious about the police being there. Right. You know, so it just makes sense that it kind of deescalates everything and is definitely in line with a lot of the calls that police take because a lot of them are not violent in nature. Right. Um, There's a lot of domestic disputes and things like that. And I do realize that those can be very dangerous. However, a lot of them often just needs a mediator. And somebody in social work is better able to handle that than a police officer who, you know, his idea of mediation is somebody gets in the back of the car, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and 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 the the funny thing is like when, when some people like, I think it was in the last year, um, and maybe this has happened more in the States, but like the conversations like has, before I read this book was about like, why didn't, why aren't we sending social workers in some pro police crowd would say, well, yeah, you try and deal with the crazies with, right. without a gun. And it's like, and then I, I kind of look at, I, I never call the people I work with crazies, but like right. <laughs> the people that I work with, who they would consider that. I've been in like absolutely wild situations. And so is, so have so many social workers. Um, again, I'm not a social worker, but the, so many people have dealt with that. And no, but you're right. They don't need the gun. Like, because we have other training. And it doesn't mean it'll never go wrong. Exactly. But, but like, yeah, right. I just, I was, I, that chapter just kept sticking in my brain. So now I'm like, what, right. do, what do I need to go to school to do to like 
try and do this. Maybe I just need to be a social worker officially now. Well, maybe. I mean, I, I think there's a big need for that, obviously. Um, society, of course, is is very diverse. Right. Um, and I think that typically from a police perspective, it's kind of a one-size-fits-all kind of approach. And it's typically geared more towards uh, apprehension, control, um, you know, separating people. Whereas this approach is more about let's allow these people to help with their own issues. Let's mm. allow them to help with their own solutions right. as opposed to somebody just settling it for them. How do they want this to work? And and he goes into that in that chapter as well. The idea that these people are a part of their own solution yeah. and that that is actually been proven in this community to be very effective. Um, unfortunately, I think what happens is that there's a, again, a, a lot of supposition as to what it means when you say you want to send out a social worker rather than a police officer. Right. And you mentioned that the idea that th there's an automatic assumption that it's going to be a violent encounter and therefore you have to have somebody there with a gun. Right. Um, but I think there's also been a lot of uh, circumstances that have shown that as soon as somebody is there with a gun, that is when violence actually escalates. Definitely. And I would imagine. And we actually, we actually saw a lot of that here with a lot of the protesting that we've had in this last summer. Yeah. Um, when the police became involved, the, the violence actually ramped up. And, and that is, I mean, that's, not, that's a no win for anybody. Right. Yeah. So I, I kept, I keep going back to the comment you made a little bit ago um, about some of it making you kind of sick to your stomach as you read through some of these accounts. Um, I had the same reaction and it reminded me of another book that I read, the, uh, the lynching tree. Oh. Um, I, I literally had to put that book down two or three times because I physically felt ill. Sorry. And, or I was thinking the cross in the lynching tree. You're yeah, that's thinking. the one. I'm sorry. Oh, that yes, one. Yeah, that, yeah. Is, that oh, is the correct James one. Cohen. Oh my goodness. Yes. It's so such me. a dramatic retelling oh. of so many instances of how how black men and women were treated and how sickening that they were spectacle, yeah. you know, and entertainment. Um, the violence against them, I mean, yeah. and how awful that is just from a human standpoint. Mm -hmm. And, and then I think about some of the things that have happened here, of course, with George Floyd, which of course was the, the reason for much of the unrest over the summer here in the United States, his death kind of sparked that, you know, the, the absolute inhumanity of being able to kneel on the back of someone and hear them struggling and not think to check if they're okay. That again, this is just, it's irrelevance for that human life. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I guess it, it may be the empath in me, but I cannot, I cannot stomach that idea. Uh, it, it makes me feel so sad and so ill all at once. Um, so reading through this, I kind of had some of the same reaction in a few different places uh, and felt like this is, it's such a sad commentary on humanity. Um, but one of the things that I, Right at the very beginning, they were talking. Uh, let me go back to it here. Um, he, it's it's the subtitle is "Making Wounds Speak." Uh, imagine hearing that someone you loved has died. Your heart would jump in your chest. Your body would clench like a fist around their memory. How angry would you be? How loud would you yell at the sky or at God or at anyone you could blame? 
And afterwards, you'd float in a limbo of grief until you got your answers and made sense of it and then slowly say goodbye. But the thing that got me in that is the next paragraph. The stages of grief depend on narrative closure, the shoveling of dirt on the casket, the eulogizing of the dead. But for African-American parents whose children were slain by law enforcement, the stages of grief grind to a halt. The dead cannot be laid to rest because the cop who murdered them is not held accountable and the violence is condoned. And that is, that's one of those places where I feel that grief so deeply. Um, having never experienced it, but still feeling that grief for the parents who have had to experience that or those who go through life every day, fearing that they will have to face that. Um, and, and, you know, you know, Derek day, right? Yeah. Yeah. Derek's a beauty. Yeah. I remember having a conversation with him on another podcast. I think it was on too many podcasters in which he was just so overwhelmed emotionally about all of it. It was over the summer over all of this and the implications for himself and his, his sons. And I remember just sitting and watching him rage about it. And I just sat here and cried and thought, my God, this is, this is a horrifying thing. And yet his opinion or, you you know, his opinion or others like him are disregarded as unimportant Mm -hmm. or, or explained away as a, a product of a criminal behavior or what have you. And thinking what a disservice that does to the emotional ability to deal with life, you know, and it breaks my heart. It just is so awful. Um, I can get, I can get very mired down in that. So I I shouldn't ruminate there much longer. (laughs) I I hear you. I definitely, and it's, that's the tricky thing about books like this too, right? Is it's just, it's it's bringing things that I kind of knew were out there, but hearing the personal stories, seeing names attached in places. Yes. um, Like, yeah, the one, the one chapter killing the future um, also just like destroyed me. Cause I, again, like I, so I think of like little personal, like an incident that I had before, but now every time I see, like I wasn't, ah, sorry, trying to think about how to say this, giving away information. Um, you can give away information. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, so, you mean unless it's information for you? Never mind. <laughs> yeah. No. So I, I, uh, there's like an incident at work where an individual who, uh, no, I can't say at work. Okay. <laughs> Just as I've learned, you know as I've as I've grown and learned about how trauma it affects people. Um, yes. I like there's a, a certain individual that if I ever see, um, I immediately start sweating. My heart starts racing mm-hmm. and it's not because I've, I've got butterflies like I've in love. It's because I've have a, a, a real physical trauma response right. to this individual. And, and this has happened for years where if I see them and it's not this person's fault, but anyways, if I, and then I like read this chapter about, you know, killing the future mm-hmm. and trying to imagine what, you know, young, you know, young people of color experience every day when they see these stories of, you know, another one gets kneeled on, another one right. gets shot, another, like, and they describe this in the book, like, you're not only, like, killing the future, you're embedding them with PTSD and trauma. Oh, yes. and, and those are lifelong things. So n- no kidding when, when police show up to things in the future, right. they're, they're afraid. They don't, like, 
why would they trust police officers when all that they've known is is violence and fear? Right. And and quite honestly, of course, the more publicized um, and media driven that that uh, the telling of those stories yeah. that just deepens that fear and that reaction in in the black youth community. Um, and, and, you know, there's already a stigma associated with minority uh, youth anyway. I mean, of course, many people feel that, that oh, that's just gang related that, you know, it's automatic. It, it doesn't, and there's so much involved in that. I mean, we could have a whole conversation about the, the idea of the family structure mm-hmm. in minority communities and, and how that's detrimental to, to the children growing up. We could talk about the idea that um, the drugs within certain communities and, and the criminalizing of that drug use has you know, detrimentally affected primarily minority communities. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that doesn't even, I mean, that doesn't even touch the idea of the whole drama that surrounds crack versus, you know, cocaine use. I mean, there's, you know, we, there's so many things that are racially motivated that we just take for granted and we never take the time to learn or discuss or try to understand how that's affecting that community. Um, and it, it really does do them a disservice and, and yeah, it's killing the future. And that is incredibly sad. Um, but anyway, <laughs> back to what you find, because I can sit and editorialize for quite a while. Oh, that's, that, I love having <laughs> a conversation about it. I, yeah. Um, let me see here. There was, I'm just going to look up a quote here. Because you'd mentioned the idea of reform. Yes. Uh, there was a quote in here that I found helpful. Um, a reform is merely a change when people experience harms being done by the systems that govern their, govern their interactions, movements, and behaviors. Some of them will undoubtedly be moved to improve those systems in hopes of reducing that harm. Eager for relief, they craft plans designed to bring that relief quickly and in a way that generates as little resistance as possible. Right. And then on the next page, it says, without a strategic long-term vision for change, However, today's reforms may be tomorrow's tool of tools of repression. Yes. Just trying to process that and think, of, okay, so, cause that, that's a lot of, right. you know, when, like you were saying, people, it, the language involved with this, the defund, the abolish, yes. the reform, what's the right thing. And, and at first my initial reaction was like, oh no, reform's the right thing. Cause yeah, we just want to change it. We don't want to, but then, um, yeah, I guess this book doesn't go as much into it, but like right. the idea of like, well, actually the reforms they've done, like body cams and these things actually haven't created a whole lot of change. Numbers haven't gotten better. Right. Um, the, yeah. Well, did so, you, did you read the other book yet? Because did, they yeah. actually, yeah, they discussed they that in that book, Yeah. Um, it, which I found very interesting. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah, yes. because we want to we want to assume that that is the answer, but in to, in totality, it is not. Right. But again, we're back to the idea of human nature playing a very big role in this kind of a discussion, though. Right. Yeah. Regardless of what we come up with, we have to we have to we have to allocate some of our our thought process to how people and their human nature are going to respond to those things, mm-hmm. um, which cannot can be not very good sometimes. <laughs> I said that awkwardly, but. <laughs> Um, you know, I, 
I hate to think the worst of people, but often over and over, a lot of times people show us the worst. And so making those, I mean, to, you know, to the example you gave like body cams, I mean, that sounds like, oh, that, that would, that's a good fix, except we still have to account for human intervention in turning those off. Right. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not a foolproof thing. Yeah. Or even, so this, I, this isn't related to the book necessarily, but I watched it around the same, what's the guy's name on Netflix? He has a special Hassan. Um, uh, I know who you're talking about. I can't think of his name either. He did like a comedy special type thing yes. on on defunding the police, right? And he goes in more in more detail there about the training and like the lack of accountability and how accountability goes with police, right? And that was also just mind blowing to me. The like mm-hmm. lack of the book goes into a little bit on accountability, but like the lack right. of accountability for for police is just scary actually to, to me especially yeah. in the states i think it canada it's a little bit different but right like the idea of like the, the power that they hold outside of even carrying a gun just the power that they yeah. have over people is you know the systems that are supposed to hold people accountable um right yeah, well again we've been conditioned that way right. we've we've been conditioned uh, as i said earlier the idea that you're supposed to trust the police as a position of authority um, somebody who will be fair and equitable in, in their, you know, in how they handle a situation, we've been conditioned to believe that if, if the police have settled it a certain way, that's the way it should have been done. And it's only when we're smacked in the face with, you know, video evidence or, you know, um, these kind of situations that we, that, that happen, that we actually see it in real time. Then we're like, oh my gosh, wait a minute. That, that doesn't look right. I mean, I don't know of anybody that could have watched the video of, of the police officer kneeling on the neck of George Floyd and thought, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Now, another police officer might have. Right. But I, could, I literally couldn't watch it. I felt like I was going to throw up. It was, it was horrifying to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of that, of course, is because I know the outcome. So, again, right. if I were watching it in real time, I still think I probably would have said, hey, you know, or I hope I would have. I really hope that I would have said, what you're doing is wrong. You need to stop. And there were people that did try to do that. But again, they're stopped by the fear of what may happen to me. Yeah. Um, or is this actually wrong? Maybe I'm not seeing it correctly because this is the police after all. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's a very detrimental process. Um, well, even and a conditioned process. Yeah. Even like what, what you had just talked about, the, that situation, because I've, I've tried. <laughs> Um, in my my typical fashion, overanalyzing things. Like <laughs> Me I, too. <laughs> like, okay, if I was there um, in that moment, I mean, you can always theorize what you would do, but I'm like, what what would be the proper thing to do? Would yeah, I be, exactly. if I say I'm a, you know, and this is again, just for me, I'm not trying to judge anyone or what they would right, or do. Right. But like, I'm like, if I would want to be called a friend or an ally, would I be willing to put my neck on the line to remove that cop's, you know, right. knee from the neck? Because, right. you know, like, especially as, because the, the people surrounding them for what we know, like, or for what I understood were, were other black individuals. So the fear with them would be through the yes. roof. But would I have yeah, that's what a, I mean. a lot of, I'm sure they had a lot of self doubt. Right. 
yeah. Yeah. I, the assumption would be they would be shot or harmed as well. But like, would I, if I was there, would I, what would I do to, you know, save that man's life if I had the opportunity, right? right? Like right. how, if, if, if I wouldn't do anything, then I don't really, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't I'd really have, have to really question myself, my own ethics. If, if I came to the conclusion that I wouldn't do anything. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. it, because, because of that was so horrendous, you know, I, I, gosh, I want to hope that I would, but okay. But again, this, this conversation can be likened back to, uh, ideas on Christianity as well. Like you said, am I willing to put myself in that person's place? Well, that's sacrificial living as a Christian. That is supposed to be what I'm doing. Um, I, I am supposed to be trying to make somebody else's situation better if I have that ability to do so. I'm sure there's people that would argue that with me, but regardless, that's how I understand it anyway. Um, but you know, it, it is a, it's a, a daunting question to confront oneself with what would I do? And I hope I would make the right choice. But I also liken that back to the conversation of Christ being crucified. Would I have been one of them? Would I, would I have spoken out right. against that? More than likely not. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and we can get down to a discussion on mimetic theory because that would certainly fit in here. The, the idea of following the group yeah. and the same probably held true with George Floyd. There were people that did try to speak, but in the end they backed down from it because this is the, the dominant thought process in the area. And so it becomes, it becomes, if it, if it weren't so ugly, it would become interesting in the evaluation of it. Right. Yeah. Or at least to me it would, but, yeah. but it is so ugly that I don't want to spend time. Yeah. Doing that. No doubt. <laughs> um, but I think I, I'm, I'm going to bring up one more thing with my friend that's a police officer, but then I want you to kind of talk about some different things in the book that spoke to you. Cause I know you said you had quite a few and I don't want to, I don't want to run out of time without you getting a chance to share those. Um, but as it pertains to the idea of the language that we use uh, with regard to this, to this subject matter, that idea of defund the police, as I was speaking with my friend one night, he brought up the whole police violence thing. And, and of course among police officers, I'm, I'm sure I don't know a great number of them, but I'm I'm almost sure that the the mentality is the same that this is all bullshit. It's all hyped by the media. It's not as bad as they say, um, and that's certainly what I've heard. And so, as I was having this conversation with this with my friend who's a police officer, he he said something about defund the police. How stupid is that to think that we don't need police? And I said, well, now hold on. I said, I think we have a problem with terminology. And he, he said, well, and of course, you know, again, I'm trying to be very cautious in what I say because yeah. <laughs> I'm in a whole different area of the country now. Um, mm-hmm. But I said, uh, I, I really think you're misunderstanding what the application of the language is. And he said, well, explain it to me. And I said, well, we're not talking about getting rid of the police in totality, although there are some people that advocate for that. I said, I think what we're talking about is allocating some of the resources that are going to police departments to other areas like social work that would then be able to step into some of these situations rather than a police presence. And I remember him standing there and looking at me with almost the shocked look on his face. And he goes, well, okay, I could see the value in that. And I'm like, that's, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> so again, there's, there's benefit to explaining some of this and having these conversations, even if they're difficult, because I think there's just a lot of misinformation um, as it pertains to the subject matter. And so it, it's interesting to me that, police officers themselves 
probably don't even understand. And they're taking, of course, you know, it's probably a bad, a, a bad comparison, but telling a pastor that people don't need to go to church anymore is a direct threat to their, yeah. <laughs> to, to their livelihood. So I can Another see conversation this like I've a had. direct threat. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. One I've had many times too. (laughs) Yeah. And and it's it's usually the same intensity that some individuals respond, the same defensiveness. um, Well, because it's it's it is a a violation of your personal worth on a on a on a psychological level. Mm. And nobody wants to be told that they're that what they do or who they are is not worth much. And of course, again, the preponderance of people in the pastoral range and in the police range are men. Men t- mm. typically, from a psychological perspective, key into identity through what they do. And so yeah. you're attacking that very foundation of who they see themselves as. Yeah. And so okay. it 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 makes for a messy conversation, but a necessary conversation. Yeah. Well. I think so, you nailed it there. Like the the conversation, because there's so many opinions, so many definitions, so many ideas, but instead mm-hmm. of talking about it, we're not having the conversations as much. And then, or not everybody on the spectrum right. is having the conversation. Right. So then the the real, like we're not coming to solutions because, right. you know, the one side, one side of the table won't, won't even engage. Right. Yes. Hmm. Which yeah. is pretty much true on any subject matter, if you think about it. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> There's always people that don't want to engage because they already think they know everything. So. Yeah. And, <laughs> and on was, any given day, that could be me. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I was like the worst of the worst for, forever. Oh, sure. We've so, all been the worst at it at some point. <laughs> yeah. I try very hard now to like listen, you know, and and try and learn instead of automatically making an assumption about a conversation. But. I'm, I still fail at it. I'm sure um, we, we all do. <laughs> yeah. But, but go back to, so, so go through some of the things that really called to you in this book that really gave you stop and made you stop and pause and think. Um, yeah. So again, the, the cahoots and the Oakland power mm-hmm. project, just because I'm kind of in a place where I'm trying to think about, I've been at the same job for about a decade and, Mm. mostly good but i'm i'm wondering if it's time for a some kind of a shift and right so <laughs> i'm reading that stuff and i'm like what do i need to do to like <laughs> create more of this type of a system here right um how can i like can i go to school to to do something like or do something not what i'm doing now is helpful and important but right um yeah just how can i make that systemic change a little better or be part right. of that um yeah and then so that was a that was a big piece, um, yeah. The <clears throat> I guess like this isn't really like a, a topic so much as just like understanding that like some of these laws that have changed, at least like in American policing, have only recently changed. Like I didn't right. Um, so page what is it? Page eighty two talks about that roadside. Um, cavity searches were still legal in Texas until 2015. Yeah. That's crazy. That's and absolutely I, crazy. I had to like double check the year and I'm like, what? <laughs> there were, How is that possible? <laughs> oh my goodness. The amount of like, oh, the amount of yeah. abuse that must have, oh, like it, that, another one of those things that just makes you feel sick. Yes, like, exactly. And because the much, potential there for oh, abuse is so overwhelming. Oh, it's just, 
Yeah, well, I mean, and again, is there the father's daughters? Not that it should matter, just just because they're related to me, but like, oh, it, it, yeah, I can't even go there. Um, well, and they even bring up the point in that section about the idea that oftentimes, um, and they call them gender searches, you know, where it was meant to humiliate or assign gender to transgender or gender non-conforming people, you know, and t- that. Again, that's another area where there's still a lot of ignorance associated with the topic. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, what an abuse of power to to humiliate someone like that. Because that's what that comes down to. It's humiliation. And yeah, another area that the book, I had to put it down for a little bit. (laughs) Sorry, I just keep bringing up traumatic things. No worries. <laughs> it was good because I was learning, but I'm also just like, oh my goodness. Yes. Like, yes. this is, I think this is actually, I think policing, after reading this, I'm like, I think policing is worse than I thought it was before. But <laughs> yeah, it's possible. I mean, um, I mean, we see a lot of pretty bad things now, but again, it, it has become something that has, um, for the most part, if it's not something you have to worry about, you become anesthetized to it almost. Yeah. Um, because you don't feel threatened by it. And you get so bombarded with the negativity all the time that you, for your own personal psychological well-being, you kind of check out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. And I, I know I've been guilty of that. And again, that's a privileged position. Um, which you know, the word privilege is very triggering for some people. So. Oh, and <laughs> nothing, nothing has got me more hate mail on our our podcast yeah, and talking about white privilege. Yes. Uh, <laughs> How dare you? Every time, for every time we mention it. We, we know that there's going to be a bunch of yeah angry white men. Surprise! Somebody's going to be upset and annoyed <laughs> by it. So <laughs> okay, you don't, oh well, that's just begging. part of that's that's part of being brave enough to talk about these things, right? Yeah. You know, and 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 to be prepared for the people that are, are not educating themselves and and probably don't want to understand. So the ignorance is prevailing, um, but. You know, one of the things, and I'm sorry, I'm going to jump back in. Sorry. Oh, no, you do. It's good. Um, one of the things that I am often most annoyed by um, is the idea that when when a person of color is confronted by the police and there's violence of some sort and it makes the media, immediately we are um, we are told of every single negative thing that this person has ever done. Yeah. We're never shown the, the you know their pictures in high school where they look like a nice kid. We're only shown pictures that that bear out the, the story that's trying to be told. And, and that's a a big frustration. And again, not something that I've ever had to deal with personally. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's what always upsets me is because immediately my response is, but hold on a minute, you've done research to find out the worst about this person, but there was no way to know that in the moment. So why was that the assumption other than it coming from a place of discrimination? I just, I can't see it any other way. It's one thing to have information after the fact. It's another to, to not have it and act as though you were acting from that information. Right. So yeah, it, it, they talked about, uh, I, they, they hint a little bit at it and talk yes, a little bit did. about it in this book, but also in the end of policing, they talk a bit more too. Mm-hmm. Like just that it, even that it's not even just the policing. Like, and I think that you nailed it there with like, it's the media works with, like not to be, yes. I, I hate even talking about the media in that term I know. that way because I'm not like a Trump, like it's all fake news, but the, you know, the media is going to play a certain story to manipulate Absolutely. how you do it. And then the, 
the legal system. Like the, um, was it this book that we talked about the prosecutor, the prosecutors working hand in hand, or was that end of policing? I can't remember because I've read both too. So right. I, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm differentiating. They're, <laughs> kind of, they're, they're kind of moving together at the moment. <laughs> right. And, and, and that's, but like, what I understand police officers and prosecutors work hand in hand. They have to work yeah. together to do this. So yes. then they get clean cut cases and they get to like, they both win when people get locked up, like regardless. Right. So yes, it's, it's like, it's all, so again, it's not even just the police that we're talking about. Like this right. ref, reform, this defunding needs to go, like it needs to be a, like the whole system's broken. We, right. But well, you, yeah. and like you said, the human nature what they're playing off of our the media is playing off of human nature. How are we going to be mm-hmm. most enraged or how are we going to be most true? Whatever. Like ex- yeah, excited there's, to- there's almost a sense of collusion to it mm-hmm. as far as all of these different avenues working together for the narrative. Right. Um, and, and you and I are simply, and this has been shown already. There's shows on this and stuff now about we are, you and I, as, as people are literally, the um oh what's the word we are literally the we're the product Mm, yeah for this stuff um you know it's it's how do you ramp up people reacting to something and and drawing attention to it how do you do that well you have to play to the baser instincts you have to play to the sense of impropriety or the sense of violence or you know all these negative aspects that that speak to that lowest common denominator of our humanity um, and those are the things that make us react. And so, yeah, the media, it, there's a sense of collusion in the whole system yeah. that, that kind of holds us all in its grip. And, and it's very difficult to get out of that. And that's what I'm saying as far as educating ourselves. Most of the time we don't do so because we're, we're sure we already know. We already know. Right. So it's, I don't know. I, one of the last things in at the very, very end of the book, um, the author of this section says, as a practical step, I would suggest examining when and why we use judgment in our conversations with each other and whether we seek to educate or support. We can reframe both education and support in non-judgmental ways. So that goes to what we're talking about here. We have to reframe you know, our ideas. Um, for instance, education can include sharing tools for de-escalating conflict that a person can try to use before calling 911. You know, instead of being conditioned to say, oh, there's a problem, I have to call 911. Right. It's what can we do prior to that that would alleviate or de-escalate a situation so that the police didn't have to get involved. But these are the things that are difficult to think of in the moment, you know, in, in a high-tension situation. Yeah. Um, We're so ingrained, even from a young age, right? Like, yes. My yeah. seven-year-old yesterday yeah. about it. Like, if you're in trouble, you call 911. Mm-hmm. Yes, and yeah, because uh, we actually uh, teach our kids that. Right. And part of me is like, cahoots. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, so that's just changing the conversation. Right. And and that's how things actually change in society is that we have to constantly be reframing the conversation and pointing back to these other solutions. Instead of so every time it, it comes up, how should we have handled this? How could we have handled this? Or, or hopefully getting to a point where you think that prior to handling it in, you know, yeah. in the traditional format. Well, um, Michelle, you, you bottle that really well. And I'll, I'll use an example from literally from today in one of the, the, the groups we're both a part of, 
somebody asked a question that a lot of people thought was mm-hmm. super like people were triggered, so to speak. Oh, and, yeah. and, it, and I initially was, I initially was too. Yes. And I was like, is this someone being like, <laughs> an or is this a, but like, I was like, I'm not yeah. going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything nice. And you know, Matthew and, and yourself <laughs> actually were both like, Oh, like let's come on. Like, and, and I, that really just made me stop and think too. And I'm like, you know, they're right. Like what? Yeah. We don't know where this question is coming from. I used right. to believe this exact same thing. I sure, didn't get I did help too. for mental health because of that, because yeah, I thought too. it was So who am I to like lash out? And I was just glad I didn't lash out before I read what you guys said. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, again, part of that is um, for me. So, so the situation you're referring to was somebody was asking, is mental health a sin or mental health issue? Is that how it was worded? I'm trying to remember. Um, I, I think it's just... It's, is mental illness a sin? Is mental illness a sin? And of course, a lot of people were very, as you said, triggered by that question. Absolutely not. And they got very defensive in their response. Um, some got downright nasty, but most just got a little bit defensive. But for whatever reason, and again, this comes down to me as a person. I don't know why or how this works. I just know that it does. That I pick up on people's emotions initially. That's the first thing. It's like walking into an atmosphere. And for whatever reason, that comes through in the writing for me as well. So when I read that question, I'm the one that authorized that post to be added to that group. Hmm. Because when I read it, I thought this is absolutely something that should be addressed yeah. because I felt what I perceived to be that person's pain in yeah. asking that question. And so I was looking at it from that perspective. So it surprised me a lot when I saw all the negative pushback. I went, oh my gosh, it didn't occur to me. It was like that because I felt I saw this other perspective. And so that's why I said what I said. And to be honest, I was probably a little triggered as well because I I as well struggled with depression and anxiety for the majority of my life. And of course that was frowned upon in the church. It was a lack of faith. And I've been very open about that, about using medication and not telling anybody and then feeling guilty and and getting rid of the medication. So then I went through this whole big slump. So I, I believed 100% that it was a deficiency or, you know, something wrong with me spiritually. Right. And so I was, I was a bit triggered by that too. And that's why I felt that hurt for that individual. Um, but yeah, that's another subject, but sorry, we're getting off on that. Hey, all that to say, like you, you modeled that well. So I even, oh, again, well, even you. today, I was just like, I learned in that moment, I, I felt a little shame because inside I was angry. That person was trying to think of some witty, sarcastic thing to say. And then... <laughs> No, <laughs> but see, but right. you didn't. You didn't respond. So there is learning there. There is, you know, self reflection. Um, you know, and and trying and then being able to say for you to say, yeah, oh wow, I hadn't thought of it that way. That's that's huge because a lot of people won't do that. They'll double down. Yeah. And and that's unfortunate. And of course, that's something that happens in this subject matter with policing as well. Um, is is that. You'll see that, especially in within the social media realms, which of mm. course is just you know a horrible environment most of the time. In all honesty, I'm thankful for it because I have so many friends because of it. But at the same time, I see the negatives of it as well. But anytime one of these situations comes up, of course, you see the polarization um, of the viewpoints. And even if you can point to something in the narrative and say this is erroneous right here, and show somebody, they still will double down on their opinion. Instead of saying, I hadn't thought of that, let me, let me reevaluate. Um, And again, human nature dictates that often we don't want to be wrong. So we won't do that. 
Yeah, <laughs> be wrong. Unfortunate. <laughs> uh, honestly, I don't know about you, but honestly, so almost everything now comes back to the human psychology to me. Like, mm. I, I tend to analyze everything a lot anyway, like you mentioned. Um, and now I find myself doing it from that perspective and trying to understand all the sides. Mm. Drives yeah. my husband crazy. <laughs> Many arguments have ensued because I've said, well, let's, let's try and understand that perspective. Like, I don't want to understand that perspective. They're wrong. And I'm like, well, let's think about it for a minute. Maybe they are, but you know, um, but that is necessary in, yeah. in society, not just here in the United States, but everywhere. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Because human nature is human nature. So we have to start evaluating, you know, our trigger points, our, our understanding of the situation, our biases. Um, and again, we both use this word, our triggers. I don't like that word a lot, but, um, but it's true. Those are the things that we have to start evaluating. So, so overall your thoughts on the book. Uh, it it was really good. Um, after I read that, then I pretty much immediately picked up the other policing one because I was like, I wanted more. Uh, It left me with, but I, yeah, it was, uh, I think it kind of, open some floodgates for me to kind yeah. of consider a new way and to really hopefully, yeah, proceed with some more research. I want to do more reading on it, but I also right. just trying to really process and then trying to listen to people who again, aren't yeah. peak privileged like me and, and right. their experiences with the police and, and part of it too. Like I've actually, you know, I reached out to a, a, a woman that I, I grew up with, um, haven't really been connected with in, in years besides online. Mm-hmm. Um, who was a police officer and we didn't mm-hmm. talk in depth, but, and then eventually we ended up getting in a bit of a spat, but it's like, <laughs> and then I, I worked with another person who's training to become a police officer and just like asked, you know, is right after George Floyd stuff. And I'm like, what do you think about all these conversations defunding the police? And actually had a really, I was terrified mm-hmm. to ask it, but that's kind of who I am. Yeah. Like, it is oh, kind of a daunting subject like, matter. I'm like, what the, you know, <laughs> It, it's, it's going to bug me all shift if I don't ask it. So I'm just going to ask yep. it. And then, ask it. And then like, it was really like a really productive conversation. And like, right. I learned that like, yeah, there's actually like, it actually gave me some hope for some people going into policing. She's like, these are the electives that I didn't have to take for my policing that I chose to, because I know it's mm-hmm. going to make me a better police officer. Oh, like, um, you know, indigenous studies and, and taking um, stuff about, or taking classes on, on right. being, more trauma informed and, and intentionally wanted to work with people with developmental disabilities so that mm-hmm. if she ever had to interact with people like that, right. she could do it. so, and so like, actually I met someone that like gave me a little bit of hope in that moment that like, okay, right. maybe, maybe, you know, it's not as bad as I thought. There's a little bit of hope maybe, but yeah, I, it's definitely a book. If, if someone wants to, wants to learn more about, especially if, if like you're, offended by the idea of defunding or reforming or abolishing or any of these things about policing. This isn't like a, a vicious attack on police officers. I think it's like a very well right. done collection of stories um, yes. that I think, and it hits a bunch of bases that I think is, is really important. It's not it a really comfortable book to read. Like there's lots of, yeah. things, like, <laughs> like you mentioned and like for myself, I'm like, Oh, like you just feel mm-hmm. sick, but yeah. Um, but yeah, again, it, it kind of triggered this, this like spark in me to like, I want to learn more about this. I want to see how, right. you know, 
I see there's a problem now. Like, how, how can we see a solution? How can we right. work on this and be better as a society? So. Absolutely. And, and that's what it's going to have to come down to. Um, we, we cannot continue on the way we are and expect anything to change for the better. It's just not, it's just not realistic. Um, so again, the name of the book is Who Do You Serve? Who Do You Protect? A Truth Out Collection, Police Violence and Resistance in the United States. Um, but as we discussed, not necessarily specific to the United States. Um, we're just the loudest entity involved in it. <laughs> um, but thanks so much for hanging out with me, Dallas. I appreciate it. Um, tell everybody once again where they can find your podcast and the name of the person you do the podcast with so we all have a better understanding. Sounds good. Um, yeah, you can find me. Um, at, I guess our, our podcast is Shipwreck Over Safety. Um, mm-hmm. Find us at shipwreckoversafety.com or you know, Facebook, Twitter. Um, yeah, that's okay. pretty much it. And my friend, my friend Blair, my fellow ex-pastor is the yes. Blair Roberts. What's Blair's last name? Roberts. Roberts. I was thinking of a different Blair for whatever reason it was going through my mind, but now I remember. Um, but great. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. As I said, I appreciate your time and of course, uh, love reading with other people and getting to discuss that. So thank you so much. So much um, fun. Thank you. Honestly, I yes. love, love that conversation. It makes me feel yeah. even better about reading the book. Having oh, good. <laughs> awesome. And thank you to all of you who are hanging out, listening to us discuss books and who are reading yourselves. Uh, thank you for being a patron of Bookish. I appreciate your support. If you are interested, there is a Facebook group. I will be really brutally honest with you. I've been woefully inadequate in that group. I have <laughs> I have not done much in there. Um, I don't even think I've posted the episodes in there, so I apologize for that. Um, but I would love to hear your feedback. I would love to have your suggestions for books or people that you'd like to hear from. Um, and with that, I thank you all very much. Enjoy the rest of your evening and remember to read a book. <laughs>